Today's episode is titled Jenny Talks Acting and Psychology and my companion for this is Scott Williams. Scott is an actor, writer, director and teacher who's appeared in almost 50 film and television dramas as well as on the London West End stage, in which time he has worked alongside many of the world's greatest and iconic artists, including Golden Globe, BAFTA, Emmy, Tony and Academy Award winners. He remains the youngest ever playwright to be produced at the Liverpool Playhouse Theatre, and when he's not acting or writing, he likes teaching acting to BA undergraduates. Aged 47, he lives in London with his wife Alison and six-year-old son Will. He's an activist for social justice, fascinated by psychology, and an aspiring novelist. He's a member of my wider family, and we'll discuss more about that along with other things in this conversation coming up in just a moment. So hello, Scott, and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. It's really good to have you here. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for asking me. Um, We ought to come clean right from the very start and say that we're cousins. Our mums are sisters. (laughs) Um, And both of these women have had a major impact on our lives in different ways. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your family growing up and what that was like for you? Well, as you say, our mums were sisters. I think they were the two youngest of the siblings mm. um, I think they were very close as kids um, yeah so I had an unusual um, childhood in the sense that my mother met fell in love and married an older man who mm. had four children to a previous wife mm. so and my mum was not much younger than those children I think she's only Eight, she she's passed now, but she was only eight years, eight nine years younger than my older sister. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I had three half sisters, a half brother. I, um, which changed the dynamic a lot because I guess mm-hmm. I was kind of the blue eye and and the youngest, and um, but it also as I got older, it made me respect my mother more when I realized what she'd taken mm. on and, and, and you know she basically just took on a ready-made family and mm. what she sacrificed to do that and mm. and then you know to go really deep into it I, you know you've I, you know why she went with an older man sometimes I thought my dad was almost like a father figure um, but growing up you know we grew up started in quite relative poverty we grew up on a mm. on a housing estate um mm. like a new build overspill that they built on the edge of liverpool in the 60s um mm. and we lived in a maisonette and there was me and my brother in one room my three sisters in another room my mm, parents wow. in the other room yeah but it was very happy i, I have nothing but happy memories about it um mm. because what you don't not have you don't miss so you know, yeah. they made they made these estates not not a high rise estate like a maisonette estate. They made them very mm. child friendly. You know, there was playgrounds and climbing frames. And mm. So I, I had a good time there. But um, when I was eight years old, they kind of started to get a little bit of social mobility, and they moved to a more middle class area. Um, we moved into a bigger house. It was the first house they owned. Um, and you know, they started to. We went to better schools. I remember my change in school at eight years old and how difficult it was mm-hmm. to yeah. adapt, even at eight. I mean, I went mm-hmm. from this area of 
which is called Netherly in Liverpool, and then moved to Wavertree, which is a bit more affluent. And, you know, they were learning French and they were learning the 24-hour clock. And, they, and I was eight mm. years old and I, I remember the transition being really difficult. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I look, but now I'm kind of, you know, a middle-aged father and I mm. bought my first house. And, you know, I see mm. how they r- rose up the ladder. And then um, mm. because my siblings were quite a lot older, they, they left home pretty quickly. Mm. I mean, two of my sisters became very young mothers. I mean, um, Lorraine was a mother by the time she was 19. And mm. um, Michelle, the same. She'd had a couple of kids before she was out of her teens. And um, mm. so I basically ended up just alone in the house with my mum and dad in this big four bedroom house. And um, mm. So I can, I guess I love my siblings and, and I love them dearly, but there's a big element of me that has always felt like an only child mm. because um, just because of the age gap, you know, I spent so much time just, just entertaining myself. And um, I think that's where the acting came in as well. A lot of role playing, oh. a lot of, a lot of playing with figures and dolls and um you know, it's only when I started studying filmmaking that I learned that um, a filmmaker sees the pictures on the screen the way a child plays with his toys. So a child will never play mm, with his toys. A, a, a child will always put his face at the same level as the, the toys. So he, mm. he, will, he will lie flat on the floor and and he will, you know, he, he looks at mm. it from um, as if he's in the action, not as if he's yeah. watching the action. So I guess that's where all that began. And um, yeah, I, you know, I have, I had a really loving relationship. Um, Mm. You know, I I remember when I started studying acting and I I did this workshop with a wonderful acting tutor called Ivana Chubbuck when I was in Mm. New York. And she always talks about family trauma and using family trauma. And I really couldn't think of any at that time. You know, it was like, you need to dig deep yeah. and, and mm-hmm. think about these horrible memories. And I thought, well, I don't have any, you know. Mm-hmm. So how am I ever, you know. Mm. But that was probably because they'd been buried somewhere. <laughs> which <laughs> we might get to later. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, great, great. And um, my parents have passed. Recently, I lost my mom in 2017. I lost my yeah. father as, as recently as this May mm-hmm. during, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, a good childhood, good yeah. family. And then with regards to the, to the more, you know, the, the, the nuclear family, the, the more wider reaching family, you know, my mom mm-hmm. had your mom and... Yeah. Um, Olive and Doreen and Norma and, and Bill were her siblings mm. and um, they grew up in the Dingle, Wellington Road area of Liverpool, which is right by the river. It's like you don't get more Liverpool than that. It's, <laughs> it's a bit like coming from, you know, the East End if you're from London. It's yeah, yeah. quintessential Liverpool. Yes. Um, yeah, so... That's that. So consequently, I, um, I was surrounded by women, basically, because my mom mainly yeah. had 
she had mainly female siblings and I had mainly female siblings. And because yeah. they were all a lot older than me, it almost felt like I had four mothers. Uh, well, that would have been an interesting dynamic. <laughs> well, yeah, because a really interesting thing, when I was doing this workshop with this acting teacher that I mentioned, Ivana, she's, yeah. uh, she's a big believer in um, psychology and behavioral science mm, and, mm. and she actually said to me after one day of working with me she said she said scott you have three sisters and they're all older than you and she just guessed that by the way i behave wow <laughs> Which wow, I, thought, wow. <laughs> I thought was a little bit freaky that's pretty <laughs> insightful <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be able to just see that just in that moment that's that's amazing yeah, i know i know yeah so it's interesting um, to kind of hear you, the, the kind of uh, backstory really to where you began um, mm -hmm. and perhaps how important acting is in your life. And, and we just sort of started there to talk about um, how kind of uh, our, our past can shape us, our childhood can really make a big yeah. difference to who yeah. we are. And, and, and we have since discovered, um, I think, uh, both of us are actually at a similar sort of time, just mm -hmm. how difficult family life was for our mums yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and therefore beginning to realise how that has an impact on us. Do you want to just yeah. sort of say a little bit about that? Well, just when it comes to, you know, the, it's only in the last 15 years or so I began to, because the thing about our mums if your mum was anything like mine, they're very, and my father was the same, they're very stoical, very, um, mm. they, they, they didn't express themselves very well. They keep mm. things hidden. And I guess it's an old school attitude, stiff upper lip, yeah. you know, they didn't really believe in therapy or, mm. you know. Mm. And so it was only later in life that I realized, you know, how hard their childhood was and, and, mm. and, and how it consequently, I believe, created a, an almost kind of a dysfunction within within the family yeah um the siblings all became they couldn't be more different really i mean my mum mm. and my auntie nova kind of turned to um you know um alcohol and mm. things that would take them out of the consciousness Mm. Um, and whereas your mum and my uncle Bill and my auntie Doreen kind of turned more to God and a, and a belief mm. system and a faith, mm. well, both is just a way of getting out of the, the, the conscious mind. And, and mm. you know, one goes to a lower state of consciousness and one goes to a higher state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. I always think about the letter H, right? And the bar yeah. across the middle of the letter H is our conscious mind. And nobody is really comfortable there especially yeah. if you've especially if you've had a traumatic past you want to mm. get away from it mm. so um whether it be my uncle who became a very respected minister and is loved mm. worldwide by people of of faith or my mom who you know died of alcoholic related um disease um, they were both trying to escape Mm. childhood that they went through and, and I found mm. that really fascinating and, and then it, it passes on to the next generation in the sense that especially if they've kept it in and they haven't expressed it you, yeah. you do question why 
Mm. Why I why did my mum drink? I used to say, is it because of mm. me? Why is why is why is sobriety? Why is it a, an existence, a, a sober existence in which I'm a part, mm. not enough, not enough for her? Why does she mm. need to? So you know, I think it the danger is if you don't have the intelligence and the, and the, and the the know for all, the where for all to to ask these questions and to figure out, then, then that dysfunction just continues for generation yeah. after generation after generation. Yeah, so sure. My, my, I mean, my task, not, not only, I, I always wanted to make my son's life better than mine was, which is what mm. most parents do. Whether That's yeah. why we relocated to a different part of the country for opportunity and social mm. mobility, mm. but mm. also, um, to put a stop to the rot so that so that this discussion mm. doesn't carry on mm, yeah. mm, mm. and i think that uh, it's just the classic see no evil hear no evil you know um i i remember reading that you know the famous statuette of the three monkeys and one's covering yeah. his eyes one's covering yeah. his mouth that's the only possession that gandhi had it's the only wow. earth, the only earthly possession he carried around with him was this mm. was this sculpture and and it's that's it it's we need to see the yeah. elephant in the room and it needs yeah. to be exposed um that's yeah. easier said than done of course you of know? course yeah of course and it's mm. um it's an interesting thing to me about just thinking about kind of um generational trauma and the way mm. in which these things are passed down mm. um I, interestingly i've been doing a bit of family history uh, mm -hmm. sort of stuff and one of the things that's come out of that is that um where you know our um our parents um, struggled with their father and and, and yeah. that situation for them and, and mm -hmm. more than likely that is a pattern that's been repeated as yeah. you go back through the family life it's, as well it's, um, it's it's i i yeah i mean i often think about the novel um, Frankenstein because I think Frankenstein mm. is one of the very first books written about um, parental emotional abuse mm. whether it be physical abuse um, and you know you've got narcissism you know so yeah I, I believe in retrospect now that my grandfather was probably um, a sociopath or, or mm. a, a narcissistic personality disorder which is usually created by um a uh, uh, childhood trauma whereby yeah. your emotional development arrests mm. so mm. something happens to you before the age of seven and mm. you you just cease developing emotionally so you become mm. an adult in the body but your mind stays childlike and, mm. and the only way you you have such a fragile ego and such um you despise yourself privately so much that you mm. have to put off this bravado and you have to always be in control. And mm. that's where abuse comes from, whether it be coercive yeah. control, physical abuse, mental abuse. So, uh, so my mother's father certainly had that. Um, and no doubt his father before him. And this is why mm. this has to stop. Um, I, I, I listen a lot to Eckhart Tolle, uh, Eckhart Tolle, Mm. you're familiar yeah. with him he's a spiritual yeah. thinker he basically yeah. saved my saved my life a few years ago <laughs> he, he he calls this the, the egoic state he calls it the pain body mm, okay so my mother my mother had a an enormous pain body mm. which she had to drink herself away from and the pain body is addicted to 
negativity, mm. fight, conflict, fight. Mm. Um, and the way to know whether your pain body is erupted is basically, is it, is it, is the reaction, is the cause, um, is the cause and reaction ratio, you know, do you overreact to something very small? Mm. If you do, it's the pain body kicking in. Sure. Okay. And, um, yeah. And. I think what Eckhart Tolle always says that he was, he was literally, he, he came from a very abusive family mm. and he, he first thought about suicide at the age of nine, but wow. when he was, when he was 29, he was literally about to commit suicide. And he, and he said, I can't live with myself. Mm. And he stopped and he thought about the sentence he just said and realized that he just described two people. He said, I can't live with myself. Okay yeah that's interesting um and and then he basically has a very very simple philosophy which is when you have these thoughts when your pain body arises when your ego arises mm. all you need to do is observe it watch yeah. yourself watch yourself having the thoughts yeah almost out of body and the, and the mm. thinker isn't you that's what he says mm. the mm. real you is the person who watches the thinker Mm. And if only I never known this when, you know, years ago when my mom was yeah. struggling most of all and, you know, but this mm. is it. You continue to have these thoughts. Even after her death, you continue to have the thoughts. If only yeah, yeah. I could have done yeah. this, I could have done that. Yeah. And that's just the continuing abuse. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a really, yeah, it's a really hard uh, kind of situation to, to be able to, um i guess release yourself from the regret and release yourself from from the responsibility or the guilt of of acting a different way or whatever when you when you mm -hmm. were a child yeah. i want to just um sort of turn the conversation a little bit towards um the acting that mm -hmm. obviously you've made um this is your life's work really as an actor yeah, and, and 28 um, years Oh, in that long that's that's <laughs> astonishing um but in particular there was a book that i read called uh, the body keeps the score which is a fascinating book if you haven't read it right. um i really would recommend it, it it's um an, an american kind of psychologist who's done a lot of work with people who suffer from ptsd and complex mm -hmm. ptsd mm -hmm. um and he describes his sort of approach um in a very it's very readable um, but in particular, he points to drama and acting mm -hmm. as a really um, sort of safe and and clean, clear way um, mm -hmm. to encourage people to process trauma, whether yeah. it's their whether it's trauma that they have been through themselves, I guess, or whether it's yeah. something that they live with from. Mm -hmm. and, and you touched on that with your um, your uh, what was her name, Ivana? Ivana from, Chubbuck, yeah, yeah, um, and she she seemed to sort of. Uh, understand that as well so mm -hmm. can you just tell me a little bit about what you think about that and whether the acting um... well, I think I, I must buy that book instantly because I think <laughs> it's absolutely spot on I think the older I get the more I realize I've, I've developed a real interest in psychology you kind of like, mm -hmm. like to think of myself as an amateur Ooh. psychologist and then it's only when I realize that acting is basically the study of um it's psychology. It's the study of behavioral science. It's, mm. 
it's more or less the same job. And there's a lot of, I've Googled, if you Google it, there's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. thesis, a lot of papers written on similarities between psychology and acting. It really mm-hmm. does help you um, go and visit the demons, look them straight in the eye. I mean, the only way to get through hell is to go down there and face your demons. And, mm-hmm. um, and Ivana's, Ivana, my teacher she's had a she had a very traumatic life and um she had a very abusive physically abusive mother and Mm. she that she created this technique she's an Mm. incredible acting teacher she's taught jack nicholson she's taught brad pitt she's taught Mm. charlie theron she's taught halle berry she's taught many many a-listers oscar winners Mm. Mm. i met her when i was in new york and yes so it's basically um, she uses um, the very earliest known quote about acting is by Aristotle. You know, the Greeks mm. invented acting. It's a very old mm. profession. It says the, the, stu- the, the, the struggle of the individual to win is the essence of all drama. And what he meant by that is um, the moment the, a character ceases trying to win, the moment you lose interest in that character and you stop rooting for them. Um, so she she gives all actors an overall objective that you absolutely must win mm. in, the cor- in the course of your film. But mm. then she takes it one step further, further and she says it must not be plot-driven. So if, if I was in Jaws, my overall objective would not be to kill the shark. Because mm-hmm. that's that's plot. That's the writer does that for me. Mm-hmm. But if you have a non-plot-driven overall objective that the audience can relate to, and I believe Roy Schneider's objective in Jaws was to stop feeling guilty. We've all mm. we all know what it's like to feel guilty, right? Mm. So yeah, perhaps yeah. so let's say perhaps when he was a kid he saw a shark kill his best friend in the sea and he felt incredibly guilty because he couldn't save his life and he's carried that guilt for his whole life. So mm. if you rewatch the film with that in mind and every single scene, his objective is to stop feeling guilty. Mm. Why does he get on the water? He hates water. Why does he go and kill the shark? He could get anyone to go and kill the shark. It's mm. personal. So mm. if, you, if you relate that personal objective to something from your own life, it's cathartic. It, it, mm. it basically is a second chance to fix things that went wrong it's a second chance of life it's a it's a mm. chance to go back and it's not just playing a plot and reading lines on a page it's far more complex than that mm. Mm. and if you watch if you I, I remember when i i went to czechoslovakia when i was a young actor i went to an acting festival mm-hmm. and i saw 15 plays in 15 different languages and some of them I completely followed and some of them I didn't. And I thought, well, why could I follow some and not others? And it was because those actors were not playing the plot. They were playing something I could relate to. So I yeah. knew that one of them was desperately in love. And I knew that one of them wanted his father's pride. And I knew that one, you know, so I say to my students, you know, watch a movie with the sound down, see if you can follow the story or watch a yeah. movie, see if you can follow the story because you can yeah. relate to it. Yeah. So yeah. I use I use acting a great deal now to um, to help me overcome past traumas, but also, uh, ironically, funnily, the older you get, some a lot of actors don't want to do that anymore because it can be mm. quite 
it can be quite emotionally draining. You know, it's not a coincidence mm. that people like Robert De Niro end up doing comedies <laughs> because <laughs> you know who wants to who wants to drag yeah. traumas? You know, it's yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. I find that really interesting what you're just saying about being able to follow a film without yeah. necessarily um, you, one of the greatest ex, one of the greatest examples is Rocky. If you think about Rocky, okay, yeah, Rocky. It's not a film about a man who wants to become the heavyweight champion of the world. It's a film about a man who wants to win the love of the little woman down in the pet shop. Mm, yeah. Right? He wants Adrian. That's his goal. He doesn't mm-hmm. care about boxing. Boxing is a means to an end. So mm. at the end of Rocky, a lot most people forget that he loses the fight. Okay. And yeah. the reason you forget he loses the fight is because the fight wasn't his objective his objective mm. was to win Adrian so when mm. she comes through the crowd and he's like Adrian and she's like Rocky and you feel an overwhelming sense of victory and an overwhelming sense of joy mm. and he's just been pummeled to death for 15 rounds <laughs> <laughs> because the actor made a far more interesting choice because mm. it's not in the script you don't play the plot mm. Mm. if you think about Darth Vader and, and Luke Skywalker, if, Luke, if, if Mark Hamill's objective is to defeat the evil empire, that's boring. Mm. That's in the script. If, it, yeah, if yeah. his objective was to make my father proud mm. and he doesn't know that he's fighting his father. So every time he strikes Darth Vader with a lightsaber, he's trying to make his father mm. proud. Then that's far yeah. more dramatic. Yeah. It's far yeah, more yeah. interesting to watch. Yes. And it's all it's all it's all psychology, isn't it? It's all Yeah. Yeah. And it's How... not a coincidence that I, in my belief, you know, the greatest actors, certainly the greatest actors I've with are, are all kind of messed up a little bit. They've yeah. Had, yeah, they've all had traumas. Mm-hmm. A lot of actors drink too much and yeah, it's not yeah. a coincidence. They yeah. can just tap into something. Mm. You know? They can cry yeah, yeah. On, cry on cue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's it's it is endlessly fascinating, endlessly fascinating. Just mm. thinking about what it is that inspires people and and how they get to how they get to where they are and and the processing. It, it, of also, it should also be encouraged because there's a great lack of empathy in the world right now. So I mean, yeah. Thing is, the one thing to be a successful actor, you need to have empathy because the, the whole job yeah. is, is stepping into someone else's shoes and seeing yeah, how. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting. Empathy revolution. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that that chimes very much with what's part of what's said in this book. Um, mm. the, the Body Keeps the Score, which, uh, yeah, really highly recommend it. You know, yeah, part I'll, of what, I'll, I'll what download he's it straight away. talking about is. Yeah. Um, is how acting helps not only to um, to for a, a person to find their voice and to um, be uh, become confident in that, but mm. also yeah, finding empathy and being able to um, see things from different points of view is a really yeah. key part of what it means to be human, surely. And therefore, you know, you know, it's really interesting when I teach acting. Remote. I teach acting at um, mm. various drama schools. Um, I'm teaching at Lipper this September, but what mm-hmm. I do in my first class is I, I give an empathy test. Mm. So there's a, a wonderful book called The Empathy Trap, which is about emotional abuse and how to avoid it. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a questionnaire in the back. It's like 60 generic questions with a multiple choice answers. And it's designed to test whether you, basically whether you're a psychopath or not. Oh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so there's like a scale score zero to 10 um, for your empathy levels. And I always do the test with my students to see which students are more or less empathetic. Uh, because mm-hmm. the moment you realize that you have a sociopathic student on your hand, you just teach them differently because a sociopath okay. is I- unable to see the world through anybody else's perspective. So mm-hmm. they can't truly feel because they can't truly listen to what's being mm-hmm. said. They can't be emoted emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to act in a different way. They have to be taught how to act in a completely different way. They have to act by number. They basically have to pretend, which mm. true acting isn't true acting; it's truth. So yeah, sure. it's really, it's really interesting psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so just thinking a little bit about this idea of kind of processing trauma and um, the the passing down of trauma from one mm. generation to another, um, and I think. We've we've touched a little bit on this, uh, and I guess um, you know some of it has already been said. But worth I think highlighting again is mm. how do you think what what do we need to do to stop this in its tracks so that your children and my children and and you know other for other generations that come after us they're not um, I, caught I, in pattern. First of all, you have to identify that you have an ego, which mm. we all do. Because Mm. the ego is the pain body. The ego is the trauma. Um, Mm. Accept that you have one. Mm. Because the moment you identify it, it ceases to exist. Mm. Because an ego cannot exist if if you're conscious of it. It's it's easier said than done. um, Mm. But the more you can do that, the more you will just be. You know, Gandhi Gandhi famously said, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah, yeah. So the only way to pass it on to our kids is to be the change you want to see. Mm. And the only way you can be the change you want to see is by of the ego. It's like, you know, what listen to the thinker, watch yourself having these thoughts. Mm. Um, try not to be provoked, try to be calm. Because, you know, it's all about mindfulness. It's Trauma is all based in the past mm. and anxiety is all based in the future. Yeah. So the, the past makes us depressed and the future yeah. makes us anxious. Yeah. So the only way to cease that is to be in the present moment mm. um, because life is the present moment. Mm. The past doesn't exist anymore and the future doesn't exist because when it arrives, it's the present. Mm, so all mm. we ha- all we have is the present mm, now mm. that can so that is just about mindfulness that's just about stopping the thought streams you know Eckhart Tolle calls the thought streams a kind of madness it's like we're trapped in this kind of madness of thought mm. um so you know just it's very spiritual it's it's written in the bible Eckhart Tolle likens it to a lot of Jesus's teachings you know mm-hmm. um you know, when he, I listened to a podcast the other day and he says, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's like mm. these people, these sociopaths, they know not what they do because they're mm. not in the present mm. moment because they're thinking mm. of the past. Or the... It's about just 
something as simple as breath, just becoming aware of your breath, listening to your mm. breath. Um, and acting teachers do it too. Sanford Meisner, the famous act acting teacher, he used to give his students a raisin and mm. just make them feel the raisin. And because you're feeling a texture and you're squishing it and you're smelling it, because you're doing something, you're in the present moment. You're not yeah. in the future. Yeah. And yeah. we need to be in that state a lot more often. And um, and then you start, that's where true happiness comes from, true mm. joy. And if your child mm. sees joy and happiness, and mm. not, if my mother had done that, rather than unscrew the whiskey bottle every 10 minutes, mm. then I wouldn't have, the trauma wouldn't have passed to me, you know? Mm. Mm. So we have to take responsibility. We have yeah. to accept the fact we're traumatized because of, because of generational you know, yes, yeah. down and, and try yeah. and be try and be the, the ones to put a stop to it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a lot of it is about identification. It's about acknowledgement. Yeah. It's about and it's about being able to sort of um and bring acceptance, it, acceptance. Bring it into the light. Yeah, and accept it. Yeah. Acceptance and then the mindfulness anything. thing is mm. so key. The thing about living yeah. in the moment, you know, yeah. it's a it's a classic kind of um what do they a classic it's technique a, used yeah, for those who, of, who suffer? Kind of an, it's kind of an Eastern mm. philosophy, isn't it? It's kind of a you know the, the yeah. Brother, it, the I think talked about it a where lot, it's kind but, of come from. Mm. Yeah, but I think it's a useful, it's a very useful tool um, for all of us. And however we use it, you know, we don't have to sort of it doesn't have to necessarily be from one particular spirituality or another. Um, I think it's an important tool to be able oh, to yeah. use. I, mean, I think it exists. Ground ourselves. Yeah, it exists in all the in all the religious books. But um, you yeah, know, sure. T uses a wonderful exercise. He says, if you're overthinking, if you're overthinking, he says, imagine you're a cat, and you're looking at a mouse hole, <laughs> and the next mouse that comes out is your next thought, <laughs> and for some yeah, crazy reason. The mouse never comes out. You never have another thought. Okay. So you you you, you don't stop thinking altogether. You're still in a you're still having a conscious moment because you're thinking yeah. about the mouse hole. But n nothing comes out. You stop thinking, and that's what causes all insomnia and all stress. And when people can't mm. sleep, it's because their mm. minds are racing, especially mm. in this modern world and in the world of social mm. media. And mm. you know, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not a coincidence that anxiety. It's just rife in the world no. right now. It's just rife. No, no, I, I agree. I think mm. we we all have a tendency um, as human beings to overthink, and then when you pile on um, kind of a constant news feed and a constant mm. um, a constant battle of trying to, you know, um, trying to keep up with people on social media or or even just trying to sort of um, fight for your own space, you know, fight for your own viewpoint to be heard or, or whatever it is, it can, it, mm -hmm. it gets very complicated very quickly. Mm -hmm. Scott, it's been great to talk to you. Me I too. just want to ask you kind of one last question and that's just about what's, you know, what, what's new for you? What, what, what's happening in your world at the moment and, and where are you hoping to go next? I'm going through a really interesting period in my life. I kind of feel like, um, what we've talked about is it's kind of a contradiction because I've realized that striving mm. for stuff and, and longing for stuff mm. is a great cause of anxiety and stress mm. and acceptance 
is I've realized that accepting things makes me happy. And mm-hmm. that, that doesn't really work with what I do for a living. You know? it's, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, I realized that for 25 years, I've been trying so hard to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And actually all I want is a garden. <laughs> you know so yeah i basically kind of st- i'm trying to wind down the acting thing i'm still doing it i'm currently filming coronation street for my sins uh-huh. I'm, I'm filming that um wow yeah um and i still act and but i've realized in the last two three years that i get a lot more pleasure out of teaching and writing so mm-hmm. i'm basically i've written i've written a novel mm-hmm. and i'm currently writing a second novel and I've written a young adults illustrated uh-huh. novel so I'm trying to be a novelist because I, w- I want the kind of job that I can do sat by a river <laughs> in my yeah. slippers <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you know but yeah so that, that's it really I'm kind of trying to accept the fact as I'm as 50 approaches and accepting the fact that I might not become Mm. a mega star and that I've had a good career I've had a mm. I've not had to do anything else for 25 years I've managed mm-hmm. to you know that that's it's acceptance it's it's yeah you know, yeah it's a great place a great place to more, be in more yeah becoming happier mm. Mm. who has who has everything the person who wants for nothing or the person who has everything who's the happiest yeah. No, certainly the person who's accepted um yeah accepted who they are and where they are mm. in life yeah, you know that brings its own happiness doesn't it and contentment but great mm. well thank you very much for being on this um call with me and talking to me about all I really, sorts of I really enjoyed it I really yeah, enjoyed it great. thanks for having me on really good no problem at all so we'll say goodbye and um yeah wish you uh, w- we will be in touch um thank at you some very much point. Thank you. Go- goodbye everybody nice to see you bye bye <laughs>